Blog Talk Radio. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. Good evening, America. Today is July the 28th, 2013. Tonight's topic uh, really is going to be pushing some limits for most of you, but it's about something all of us either are having, wish we were having, or can't stop having. And what I'm talking about is that age-old friend of ours, sex. That's right. What is your sex life like? I want you to ask yourself a question. Is your sex life controlling you? Or are you controlling your sex life? If you're like many of us, we, and over the age of 16, unfortunately, because I think at 16 we learn about sexual identity, we're very aware of sex, but, you know, times have definitely changed. And speaking from personal experience, I have explored and been a victim of my sex drive. And I don't think I'm alone in that. As a matter of fact, uh, this week I did, uh, I was on tour and doing some traveling, so been from Atlanta to Alabama to Mississippi to Georgia, I mean to Florida. And in speaking with people about this show topic, everyone had very similar questions or comments. Uh, one person asked me, uh, it was so funny, it, it, this is the South, how prudish can, and this is what I'm thinking, how prudish can you be? They said, you are doing a show about that? And then I had other people that just giggled and laughed, and then, you know, men, we come out and we want to beat our chest about how virile and how much sex we're having. So uh, before this thing really gets started, I want to go and just cover some topics. Um, one, sexual promiscuity is going to be talked about on this show. So if you have a child that is not of age or you're not willing to give consent to hear something like this, this is definitely the time to go send them to go get an ice cream cone and watch Nickelodeon, Okay. This is a show for adults tonight. Uh, the second thing we're going to talk about is sexual addiction. We're going to talk about the consequences of sex, and we're even going to get into how to make it better in case you're not really excelling in this area. Um, but the first part of this show I want to talk about is the gender biases in sex. And you would think in 2013 that we would not be so jaded and so ignorant about the sexuality concerning women. Um, it, it is really almost blowing my mind that we have so many double standards out there. Uh, what I mean by that is this. A man can go out, he can sleep with all the women he wants, and, you know, we don't call him anything, but, hey, fellow, what's going on? If a woman does that same behavior, she's labeled a slut, she's labeled a whore, or even, let's scale it back. Let's say that someone isn't out there sleeping around, but you just happen to be grown and you are mature enough to express that you have 
sexual desires, a sexual identity. You're, you're an intimate being. Well, again, for men, there's, it's okay. But when a woman does that, men typically will date her. We will surely, if we see you in a club and you look hot, we will buy you drinks. We will take you home and do God knows what to you and with you. But for some strange reason, seldom does that girl make it home to meet mom. Next double standard. Women, yes, I am talking to you. You label men and talk about men and call them dogs and all sorts of things because they don't want to commit, but they do want to have the intimacy and they want to have sex with you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, somebody has got their head really screwed on backwards because who are we having this? all of these little interludes and these rendezvous with, unless two consenting adults are getting together and saying, hey, you know what, you do me and I'll do you. So here's the point in this show. We want to erase some of the stigmatisms. We want to get rid of the shame factor. And I want to annihilate the stupidity associated with sex, sexual behavior, and especially the techniques and the things you need to do in the bedroom to turn someone's nightmare into a sweet dream. So with that said, I went, dug through my bag of tricks, and I found one of the top sex experts in the country, and after much consensus, I reached out to her to ask my producer could she get her on the show, and lo and behold, she did. So, Julia, would you please introduce tonight's guest? Yes. Here with us tonight, we have Emily Dayala, who's a licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and certified sex therapist. She has regular public speaking engagements and also appears regularly on Great Day Houston with Deborah Duncan for the Ask the Therapist segment. Emily says she prides herself on her natural ability to make working through talking about sexual concerns as comfortable as possible. Man. Thank you, Julia. Well, hey, Emily, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for joining us. Um, I, I have to jump right in. The first time I met Emily, uh, America, we were doing a show on CBS television that airs in the Texas market and a few other markets uh, with the host, Deborah Duncan, and they asked Emily and I to talk about uh, what I think is almost a cartoon called Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, I know no one's heard of that book, and if you haven't, it's because you've been sleeping under a rock somewhere. But what I found so fascinating about Emily is that she is beautiful, single, very intelligent, and knows her stuff. So, Emily, with you being a sex therapist, uh, I want to ask you, what in the hell made you decide to become a sex therapist? <laughs> you know, that's a question that I get all the time. Um, you know, to be honest, my father is an OBGYN, so I grew up in a house where sex was not a taboo topic. There was no shame around it. You know, it was something we just, you know, grew up discussing openly and, and in a really healthy way. Um, so I think that kind of set the foundation for it just being a, a topic in general that I was comfortable with. Um, when I was at college at UT, I was studying psychology and doing that as my major, and I took a human sexuality course. And I just, um, you know, loved it. I, I found that, um, you know, I think sex drives so much of our behavior. It affects not only ourselves as individuals, but also our relationships. It, it motivates different things. And so I just think it, it's such a huge part 
of our psychology. And so I just kind of, you know, focused a lot of my work there and, and developed uh, or decided to make that my niche. All right. I've got to ask the big question. Um, in my practice, the reason that I'm good at what I do and the reason why I'm successful at what I do is that I've had enough relationships, I've had my heart broken, I've broken enough hearts, I've had enough travail in my life to Mm -hmm. position me where not only can I talk from the academic venue, but I can talk from experience um, as it relates to self-actualization and self-awareness and transformation. What qualifies you outside of the academic stuff to speak to the issues of sex addiction, sexual promiscuity, uh, Mm -hmm. sexual voyeurism, all Mm -hmm. the things that we associated with the S word. You know, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't gone through anything in my life that, you know, probably contributed to me having um, an interest in this topic. But I actually generally make it um, my policy not to share too much about myself personally. Just because of the work I do as a therapist, I find that, you know, unless I think the patient really needs to know something about me, you know, it's better just to focus on them. So, you know, as a general rule, I just tend not to divulge too much personally, and I know people don't always like to hear that, but I find that works best over the long run for me. Okay. Well, you know I'm going to ask the next question. Share what you can. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, as I said, there's only just, a few million Americans that are going to listen to this show. So, and exactly. some people in the UK and Canada and South America. But I, I think what the reason I'm asking Emily isn't to put you on the spot. I'm really asking because I want my audience to know that they're having someone give them advice that's been there and done that to some degree. Sure. And I mean, I think, you know, as human beings, we're naturally going to go through relationship experiences. We're going to, you know, everybody, no matter where you're coming from, goes through your own, you know, sexual development and maturity. And so, you know, I think it's something that, you know, is a human thing. And I think that's why I relate to so many people, because you can't really escape it. Um, A lot of problems can come as a result of things going wrong along that path, Um, you know, but I just think I connect with people on a basic human level because our sexuality is so human. Uh, with that being said, what is the difference? And we're going to uh, go across the spectrum tonight talking about sexuality. What is the difference between um, someone that is promiscuous versus someone that is just sexual? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think someone who is just sexual, and and I think the word promiscuous has a very negative connotation. Um, I think in a lot of ways, someone who's highly sexual, they may be promiscuous, but you can also be very sexual and be monogamous. So I think, you know, that word sexual is more about kind of who you are and how you are in touch with yourself as a sexual being um, versus, you know, promiscuity is, is more about kind of how you're sharing yourself with other people. Uh, so I guess you, I would view the difference more on an individual level versus the relational level. Okay. Is there anything wrong at, at with us? Do you find that we are, uh, well, I'll speak from personal experience. I know that um, when I was a younger man, um, and what I mean by a younger man, I'm going to say in my 20s, my sex drive, was, the space shuttle couldn't keep up with my sex drive. Uh, And that same thing continued through my 30s. 
and now that I'm a man of a certain age, it's the same situation with the only difference being that I understand the consequences of inappropriate intimacy. And what I mean by inappropriate intimacy, in case someone's going, what the hell does that mean, uh, is getting into a situation strictly because that lustful part of us is kicked in and we and you just got to have it. But is that something that's normal or if, or what makes it abnormal when we just, you know, when we crave, desire, and have a uh, healthy, maybe even overabundant appetite for sex? Well, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a healthy desire to be sexual. I mean, I think um, to be in touch with that is a is a wonderful thing. But you have to also think about what is motivating that desire. What kind of place is it coming from? on an emotional and psychological level. You know, for example, are you having sex or are you having sex with someone because you feel like you should out of a sense of obligation? Are you, you know, when you're sexual with other people, are you still maintaining integrity? Or are you, you know, for example, making or taking away your primary partner's right to have a say about what's happening with their body because you're, you know, being promiscuous with people on the side? Um, are you, you know, being sexual to numb your feelings or to escape your life? You know, those are the kinds of things you want to think about when, when you're trying to decide whether your sexuality is healthy versus unhealthy. You know, I always tell people that there's never a problem until it's a problem, you know, because people will come in saying they, they're concerned because they too, have too high of a sex drive, you know, for example. But when I start asking these questions and I find out, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll hear them say, well, I really love my wife. She's, I think she's the most beautiful woman. She's the mother of my children, and I just want to, you know, make love to her as much as I can. Well, good for them. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, but when it's coming from a place that's maybe manipulative or it's a condition for something else or it's, you know, exploitative, then I think it, it can become um, or that it is something that's more problematic. When you say problematic, uh, I can just hear some of the guys in my audience now where um, they're saying problematic for who? What What is the definition of problematic sex? You know, well, the it criteria be, for it. I'm sorry, say that again? No, I apologize. I said what is the definition or the criteria, better yet, for a problematic sex? I think it's, it becomes problematic, for example, if you are overly preoccupied with it, maybe to the extent that it's taking away your attention from things that you should be focusing on. You know, for example, if you're supposed to be, um, you know, doing something at work, but you are so distracted because you're trying to think of, you know, the next uh, partner you're going to bring home, I think that's a problem. Um, if, as I said, you're using it to avoid your life, escape your feelings, numb the pain, I think that makes it problematic. If maybe you, what you really desire in life is a kind of more monogamous, traditional relationship, you know, you find yourself continuing to cheat on your partner or, you know, being promiscuous, and that on a personal level is something that you're trying to get away from, but you find that you're unable to stop, then I think it's a problem. Um, you know, if there's a lot of escalation happening or tolerance building, um, it can be a problem. So, you know, if, if you feel like it's out of control, you know, sexual energy, healthy sexuality should be a controllable energy. And if you feel like it's just kind of out of your control, you know, the way you said, is, is it controlling you, then I think it's a problem. 
Well, uh, does that include, and I know this is going to really uh, touch on some people's uh, soft spots, and I, but got to touch it. I have a, a client that um, wants just, well, not just a client, several clients mm-hmm. that have had issues with self-pleasure. And, yes, that means masturbation for those of you that I couldn't package <laughs> it sweetly for. Uh, is there Thank such you for thing calling it what it much? is, though. I think that's good. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Let's back up, rewind. How is that good and what makes masturbation good? I think it's healthy to get to know your body on a personal level. You know, if you don't know what you like sexually and you can't figure that out, how are you going to be able to share that, you know, with your partner? So I just think it's good for exploration purposes. And, you know, a lot of people, they'll masturbate for different reasons, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, nothing to be ashamed about. It's totally normal. I mean, I work with people from all corners of the earth, and, you know, probably 99.9% of them will admit to me that, yes, they have masturbated some over the course of their life, you know, both men and women. Now, whether this is something that they feel comfortable with is another story, but, you know, nearly every person who walks into my office admits to having done it. So I just think it's a natural human tendency, and it's it's normal, and it's healthy. Uh, I've got to ask this before we take our first break. What makes masturbation healthy? I think if it's something that you're doing to explore your body, to get to know yourself, I think being able to give yourself pleasure rather than relying on a partner is something that is healthy. You know, I think that's something that teenagers need to keep in mind. Maybe they're told, you know, that only someone else can make them feel good when, in fact, if they're taught that they can make themselves feel good, for example, then then that would be a healthier, um, you know, for them at that age. Um, you know, so there's a lot of healthy things about masturbation, those being just a few. Well, hey, America, you're listening to Conversations <laughs> with Dr. D. Von Young. If you want to get in on this conversation, feel free to give us a call at 646-478-5610, 646-478-5610. And if you don't want to go on there, uh, you can hit us up in the chat room, send a question via Facebook. But we're going to take a 45-second break, and we'll be right back. This is Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Gentlemen, we are back. This is Conversations with Dr. Devon Young, and this is yours truly. Tonight, we want to ask America the question, are you a freak? Is your sex life controlling you, or are you controlling your sex life? With that, I have an expert with me, and Emily is considered to be one of the top sex experts in the country, especially in this part of the country. I've had the pleasure of appearing on CBS with her, and um, her opinion is just wow. It's really, um, for some of you that are a little prudish, it's going to be a bit aggressive, and maybe that's just what you need to wake your country butt up. 
Now, with that statement, <laughs> I was talking to a group of guys, and they said, man, I only like women that are fits. And I thought, okay, you really have a grammar problem. You mean fit? And the guy said, no, bro, fits. And I said, what in the hell is fits? And they say, freak in the sheets. Now, obviously, this definition will vary from person to person based on one's level of experience. Oral sex seems kind of freaky probably the first time you tried. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And sometimes that back in the day used to be the definition for that rare prize. Freak in the sheets was a girl that could put it down orally. But now things have really changed. Everything's happening from people saying, I want you to dress up like Colonel Sanders. I'm going to put on this chicken suit. We're going to put flour and 11 herbs and spices on the bed. You roll me in it, baby, and we're going to slide into the grease, all the way down to being tied with a mask with a tennis ball in your mouth. So, Emily, what is a freak? I think you just gave several good examples, but I don't like that word freak. Because, again, that you know, it kind of has a negative connotation that maybe there's something, you know, weird or, or nasty or gross about you. But people have all kinds of sexual preferences. And I think being able to identify those and communicate them with your partner um, really speaks to how comfortable you are with your sexuality. So, you know, I don't think that makes you freaky. I just think it makes you maybe comfortable in who you are and therefore willing to open up about that. What is too comfortable and what's not comfortable enough? Because And, and let me get, go where I really want to go with that one. Um, okay. In my opinion, a freak or what we used to call being freaky, because I definitely could probably, if you looked that word up in the dictionary a few years ago, you would have seen a picture of me smiling, doing the proverbial thumbs up. But it's a person that has no shame or hang-ups about sex, probably can talk dirty, get busy with the lights on, can uh, pleasure themselves while their partner watches, is good in bed, they love to reaffirm it every time they get horizontal with each other. And then I think sometimes people, depending on what one person has experienced, can bring toys into it, start bringing role-playing into it, maybe even another person into it. Hopefully you guys won't bring any livestock into it, but there are so many things that people do that take sex out of the conventional zone and into the wild blue yonder. Emily, give me some things that you would suggest that men could possibly open up to being receptive to trying that may enhance their uh their experience with their significant others in bed? I would say, you know, almost anything, as long as it's consensual. You know, a good sexual partner is someone who is open, who is comfortable with their sexuality, and may be willing to try something that, you know, because they're in a loving, caring relationship, that maybe, you know, it wasn't their initial preference, but because their partner is saying, hey, you know, I love you, would you be willing to try this with me, that maybe they would be open to. You know, I draw the line at anything that is maybe fundamentally out of your value system, um, you know, but I, I do encourage people to maybe push through that initial reaction of, you know, oh, my God, no, I would never try that. How could you even ask that of me? You know, because you never know. I think we're, you know, we're we're taught kind of vanilla sex is healthy sex. And when I say vanilla sex, I mean maybe the sex that you see, you know, in the movies, kind of kissing, hugging, you know, the lovemaking, which is wonderful. And, and people can absolutely enjoy that as well. 
Um, you know, but it's also good and healthy, I think, to be willing to explore different avenues, especially if you're in a long-term monogamous committed relationship because, you know, you've only got each other if you've made that promise. And so, you know, it's good to spice things up from time to time and, and be willing to explore um, different areas of sexuality that maybe you were, weren't initially open to. Okay. With that being stated, I've had uh, an experience um, myself where someone has asked me to do something that I, you know, back in the day would have been no problem. Uh, but mm-hmm. now I think because I'm more mature, I'm just not as receptive to it. But that's when you introduce third parties. Now, let me be totally honest about this because I know there's been several interviews where I have eluded to part of one of my epiphanies being me having a threesome. And that mm-hmm. night that I was having the threesome, you know, which it wasn't just that night, it was almost like a lifestyle thing for me. Um, I just snapped out and, and I woke up to it and I was like, you know what, I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, this is cool. It, it's 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 okay, but... I, you know, I even feel a bit depreciated. There's got to be more than this, you know, because I think what mm-hmm. happened was psychologically wasn't matching with what was going on for me phys- physiologically, and I had an epiphany. But for those of us that still want to do the two honeys and a biscuit and then you be the biscuit, what do you say about that, and what are the do's and don'ts? Well, I think in the case that you just described for yourself, it sounds like what happened was, the motivation shifted for you. Suddenly you realized that maybe it was coming from an unhealthy place. And, you know, I, I don't know the full story, so I'm take this with a grain of salt, you know, but it, it sounds like maybe, you know, as it is for a lot of people, it's, it's coming from a need to feel important or, you know, it's replacing um, that intensity is replacing healthy intimacy. And that happens a lot. People confuse those words, intensity and intimacy, and they think maybe because they have you know, an extra person in there that they're getting more love. Um, And that's just usually not what's happening on an emotional level. Now, that being said, if, you know, let's say down the line you were in a more monogamous relationship and you and your partner talked about bringing in a third person and it was consensual and it was coming from, you know, a healthy place and that it was shared, then I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I always tell people there's you can have sex with mon- monkey suits on if that's what you're into. You know, nothing's a problem until it's a problem. But where is it coming from on an emotional and psychological level? When that is incongruent with what's happening behaviorally, then it's something to at least examine. Well, I can I'll say and just share a little of my story because I know I'm going to probably get a deluge of emails after this show is over. What happened with me was that. I was um, back in that at that time in the entertainment industry and owning everything from interest in a gentleman's club to an after-hours club to promoting concerts and what have you, and just being totally transparent, it was all about I love a petite woman with curves. So it was one of those things. Uh, I would liken it to being a, a uh, let's say, a rather obese brother at a sandwich shop yeah, you want some ham and you want some turkey, or, or for those of you that can't relate to that example, 
uh, of someone that has a fetish for candy or ice cream, so you want a double scoop of that and a single scoop of this and put some sprinkles on top. And I think what was driving my behavior was uh, most like most men being very visual. And then on the flip side of it, women sending me signals, you know, like, yeah, I'm, you know, liking spirits definitely communicate. So, you mm-hmm. know, they would send the signals like, let's do this. And, and to be really honest, Emily, the first time I did it, it wasn't my idea. It was mm-hmm. I was uh, being intimate with a woman. And she had kind of like passed out, and her girlfriend happened to hear it, and she knocked on the door, and she said, "Geez, can I come in?" And she said, "Girl, go ahead." And that's what yeah. opened that door for me. So, mm-hmm. is that Pandora's box for people, or is it something that you suggest they try? You know, I would never like suggest they try it necessarily. If it's something that they bring to the table, and they you know, say, hey, this is something I've been curious about it. What are your thoughts? You know, my job is to help people explore that, and then they ultimately, you know, make the decision if it's something that they want to move forward with. I mean, one thing about your story, though, that I think is great is that it, it was the woman's idea. It sounded like maybe she felt empowered. She felt comfortable enough with both you and your partner to come in and say, hey, I want to, you know, kind of get in on, on what's happening and enjoy myself. And you know, so I think that that's fine. It, it can be done in a very healthy, um, you know, caring way. Absolutely. No, Emily, be honest. Old girl that just was tired and couldn't take no more, and she was tagging the other chick in. But the truth is, what happened with that situation, uh, I've, I've found when I'm counseling couples that have gone down what I call that being a dark path. So if this is something you like to do, I'm going to just give you guys something to think about before and before we go to break, but I'm, I'm just going to delay the break a second and say this. One, when you have a threesome, you are introducing not only a spiritual component to the room, but you're introducing someone's gender preferences. And, I, and here's what I mean by that. Most men that are heterosexual do not want another guy's erect penis anywhere near them. So if your man is cool with another dude coming in the bedroom, you're probably dealing with a brother that's got some bisexuality going on or he's got some really, really deep issues. Would you agree with that, Emily? You know, that's such a hard question to answer with a blanket yes or no statement because, you know, our sexual orientation, our gender preferences, our own, you know, sexual identification and gender, they're distinct, but there is a lot of overlap. Um, you know, it could be the opposite. Maybe this this guy is so comfortable with his sexuality and orientation that it has nothing to do with po- with possibly being gay. Um, you know, but it's really hard to know that without doing a more, you know, thorough assessment. So I think that would be something that, you know, would have to 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 be determined on a more case-by-case basis. Um, that being said, you know, I think in general you're right that most, you know, firmly heterosexual men would not be comfortable with that, um, that it would be a more sexual, it would be a turnoff for a lot of heterosexual men. Um, you know, interestingly, if you look at gender differences in men and women, women tend to have a much more fluid sexuality. Um, you know, they're more open maybe to being with someone of the same gender or sex that they are. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bisexual. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're gay. It's just women's sexuality tends to be a little more fluid and complex than men's. 
Um, so I think that's why when you think about threesomes or what you see, typically it is, you know, maybe two women with one man. But you know, honestly, you're seeing the, the broad spectrum of that today. Now, I've got a big question for you, Emily. Um, when I've seen that conversation take place in my office, what typically has happened is that it opened the Pandora's box, and now uh, all of a sudden the female partner in this heterosexual relationship mm-hmm. realizes that, you know what, being with a woman gives me things I don't get from a man. It gives me this um, cuddling where, where so like, I love to cuddle, but some men, they just want to do what they do and, I, you know, get off me. But some men mm-hmm. don't want to cuddle, so the woman gets this cuddling, and then there's this let's have fun and talk and watch a movie. And another thing, some men are so stupid, they don't know that it's very, that most of sex occurs before and after the sexual act itself, meaning the intimacy that's associated with sex comes from the talking and the cuddling and the Mm -hmm. toe rubbing and, you know, the rough stroking ears and hair and things like that. So would you say for most men that, they may want to be a bit cautious when they open that door because you may be awakening some things that either are dormant or weren't even in that woman's consideration that now that you've gone there, you can't unstrike a match? Well, you can't necessarily unstrike the match match once you go there. That's why I think it's important for any couple who's considering trying this to, you know, not just have one conversation but several conversations about kind of what – where the lines are, where the boundaries are, what's okay, what's not okay. Um, you know, it, it for some people may have the, t- the potential to kind of open Pandora's box, as you said, and maybe they really enjoyed the experience and that leads them to want to try other things or try different kinds of, um, you know, sexual acts or, or relationships with other people. You know, a lot of people may try it and they say, you know, that is something I can never, ever do again. And sometimes it can cause problems in a relationship and get messy. So I think regardless, you you should only do it if you've really examined yourself and you're clear on what your value system and what your limits are and that you're with, you know, another mature adult who has, who you've, you know, communicated very openly about that with. Um, you know, to your point about what what the woman may be getting, you know, from a female versus from a male partner in bed, you know, you're right. Women are more inclined to, you know, kind of cuddle and talk and, you know, hang out some after sex, whereas men, and this is because of something that's physiological a lot of times, are just depleted and, you know, they feel tired and that happens after an ejaculation. So that's something... Um, to keep in mind as well that there are some some gender differences. Speaking of such, is there something that men could uh, be aware of that could possibly move the ball forward as it relates to um, pleasing a woman in intimacy and the things that we should and should not attempt? I would just say listen. You know, I always tell people when they come into my office, that you are responsible for your own pleasure. And so whether that's, you know, learning how to give that to yourself or really communicating clearly to your partner what they need, listen. Um, Again, there's a gender difference here. Women, you know, are not, we're just more complicated (laughs) in a lot of ways. And so, you know, what she may enjoy, you know, one night might be a little bit different than what she likes the next night. And so I think it's her responsibility to communicate that to their partner 
Um, and it's the guy's job to, to listen and reciprocate um, or to pay attention and, and, you know, show that he's listening to what she what she says she likes. Um, you know, there is not a one-size-fits-all. You know, sexuality is just so complicated. You know, what one woman likes could be completely different um, from what another woman likes, but what you will find the same is that you listen and you're an attentive partner, then she'll likely be more satisfied for sure. Wow. Well, America, you're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Tonight our topic is, are you a freak? Is your sex life controlling you, or are you being controlled by your sex life? We're going to take about a 45-second break and come back. Uh, we've got a sex expert, Emily DeLayala, on our show today, and she is answering all the questions that you did not even know to ask. We'll be right back in about 45 seconds. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young, and tonight we are talking about a subject that affects everyone because had this not happened, you would not be here, and that is sex. This program is intended for mature audiences only, so if you have some kids in the house and they do not have your permission to hear or discuss such things, please, please, please tell them to leave the room or your kid is going to be staring at you looking really strange a little bit later. If you want to give us a call, you can call us at 646-478-5610 or text to go to the chat room and send some messages. I'm I'm getting some messages um, via text and email, but I'm going to address those. So those of you that are sending those, feel free to keep doing so. You're not being ignored, but I am going to get to those things later in the program. Um, want to talk to you about this, Emily. There mm-hmm. is this thing that people feel is an addiction to sex. And mm-hmm. earlier, uh, when we first began the program, you made mention, I think, and I don't want to quote you, but you said something to the effect that when it becomes debilitating, and by debilitating America, what I mean is that when it gets out of hand, where now you're supposed to be changing somebody's oil and you think about changing somebody's drawers, or you're sitting there, uh, you're supposed to be typing and you're looking across the room at the man when he walks by, noticing impressions on his pants, or you're some guy staring at some woman's bra, trying to figure out if it's padded or not, and if so, why or why not. We know then that you are officially a freak and something is going on with you. But, Emily, you said that some of that can be normal, and you said sometimes that can be abnormal. Help us clear that mess up. Sure. So when you're looking at, um, you know, what I like to call more sexual compulsive behavior, because the word addiction um, gets a lot of people's feathers ruffled, so I like to be careful with that. Um, You want to look for a couple of kind of key criteria, and, 
you know, in some cases all of these criteria will be met. In other cases, you know, maybe just a few of the, these criteria will be met. And when when these criteria are met, um, then it's indicative that there may be something compulsive or unhealthy or problematic about your sexual behavior. So as you pointed out, one, yes, that preoccupation is just something that you just can't stop thinking about, that it's in the forefront of your mind so much that it's interfering, you know, with your daily life. That's that's something that could be a problem. Are you using it to, you know, avoid your life, to escape your feelings? Are you in so much pain that maybe you're turning to sex as a way to numb? Um, that could be a problem. Do you feel like you've lost control over your sexual behavior? Has the has it escalated maybe from, you know, simply viewing online pornography to committing more illegal acts, maybe riskier and engaging in riskier and riskier behavior such as, you know, meeting people in public bathrooms or um, using prostitutes, escorts, massage parlors, those kinds of things. If there's escalation involved, you want to pay attention to that. If maybe you've made attempts to try and stop and you can't, um, or to take that a step further, maybe there have been extreme negative consequences for your sexual behavior, you know, but despite those negative consequences, you still go back to it. I mean, I've worked with people before who have, you know, lost not just one, but two jobs, you know, big jobs over the course of their life as a result of this compulsive sexual behavior. Um, so those are just a few of the criteria that you want to think about when you're asking yourself or another person or talking to another person about whether or not their their sexual behavior has crossed that line into something that's more compulsive. Okay, you you said a lot, so I just want to go back and pick <laughs> apart some of those points. Um, sure. When I, when I was and I still do have a high sexual appetite and still have a high sex drive. The difference is I don't act on it, and it's not that the thoughts aren't there. It's not the cravings aren't there. Uh, it sure the hell isn't that I don't like women. I think at this season in my life, I have more of an appreciation for the unique beauty of a woman than I've ever had in my life. But what I have, what has happened is I don't pull the trigger. So I want to start at pulling the trigger. When should a man or a woman act out these impulses and under what circumstances is it safe to do so? I think consensuality is so important. I mean, that's kind of the big thing to keep in mind. You know, is this something that is totally consensual on both parties? You know, but you could even look, you could say, okay, well, I hired a prostitute and she consented to this agreement. Well, well, yes, maybe, you know, there are many prostitutes out there who have decided this is going to be their career. Um, a lot of them ha- haven't. You know, sex trafficking and human trafficking um, is a huge problem, and it's getting worse, um, you know, around the world, but especially in the U.S., so you just don't always know what you're getting into with that kind of stuff, just to give you an example of, you know, when it's okay to pull the trigger. Um, you know, as I said before, you know, nothing's a problem until it's a problem. Um, you know, but if it's something that someone is not consenting to, you know, for example, voyeurism or, you know, exhibitionism, you're you're engaging sexually with someone who has not consented to engage, and so then that could be a problem. 
Okay, let's back up. Let's back up. First, uh, I'm going to talk about the little freaky fella in the raincoat that's standing up flashing his little bitty uh, strawberries and his Vienna sausage at people later. But I do want to go back to something you said that does concern me, and that is sexual trafficking and mm-hmm. people being put in situations where uh, they are smiling on the inside and screaming for help on the outside. How does a guy, because I'm going to assume, well, this can happen to men with gay young men, too. So for some of yeah, the right. gay listeners out there, when you're out there looking at that little no hair on the chest, boy, that's because he is a damn boy. You freak, leave that kid alone. But if we want to go further, how can you tell when or what are the signs, if there are any, that someone is uh, being forced into a situation that you're mm-hmm. being part of the income stream for? You know, unfortunately, oftentimes you can't tell. It's not like um, for a lot of these people that there are any, you know, big telltale signs or red flags that if you see, then you, you know, should be aware that maybe they are someone who's been, um, who's being held there against their will. Because the truth is a lot of people um, who are victims of this are taken at such a young age that they can become very brainwashed and think that, you know, this is what's normal and they're trained to know exactly what to do, um, you know, when they're in bed with someone and when they're not. And so, um, and they may look, you know, just like you and me um, because they are taken so young oftentimes. And so, unfortunately, it's just really hard to know for sure, which is why you should never just put yourself in that situation to begin with. So, fellas, in other words, Go, guys, go do it the old-fashioned way and try to meet a woman at a bar at the grocery store. Quit dialing on Craigslist and Facebook trying to buy you some love. It just doesn't work. Not only that, your butt is nasty. Please don't do that. <laughs> now, back to this, Emily. I've, I've got to ask this question. When we start talking about um, solving these compulsions and, and these um, sp- these spontaneous urges we have, is it okay to, like, um, go and get a friend with benefits or I don't want to say masturbated work because if people start doing that, I'm not shaking hands with nobody. But I do <laughs> want to know what do you suggest that we do um, mm-hmm. to deal with this need to speed? What do we do? Well, I think it's like like any urge, it's something you have to learn to control and have limits on. You know, for example, if I, you know, realize that I left, it's cold outside and I left my jacket at home, I'm not just going to go, you know, break into a store and steal a coat because I'm cold and I feel I'm entitled to it and I'm just going to give in the desire to be warm. No, I'm going to do the right thing and walk into a store and say, you know, do you have any coats for sale and, and just go about it in the right way. And I think same thing applies to sex. Um, I think a lot of people like to use the excuse that, oh, you know, at the end of the day we're just animals and it's our urge and we have to give in to it and we're denying ourselves that they're not. Well, you know, there are a lot of things in life that we have to learn to control and to manage in a healthy way, and sex is one of those things. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, a, maybe a more non-exclusive relationship or, you know, going out and getting a friend with benefits if that's what you're choosing to do and if the, the person or people who you are also engaging with agree to it. Now, I do think there's a problem if you, you know, maybe say you're my only friend with benefits, but then you you have other friends on the side because then you've taken away, you know, that first person's right to make a fully informed decision about their body 
um, and their sexual health. So those are the kinds of things you, that you want to remember when you're thinking about, you know, how to satisfy that need and, and to do it in a healthy and controlled way. Okay, I'm going to skip taking our last break because I'm getting some uh, a few little messages from some guys uh, okay. from Facebook, and I want to ask you about a couple of them. One uh, message that I'm getting is this. I'm going to just paraphrase it because if I read this message, they're going to take my show off there. But the um, the guy basically is saying that he's been with a woman for um, a brief period of time, and she has an odor issue. How does he tell her that her vajayjay smells like death is there? Now, I, I said that. He didn't say that. That her vajayjay mm-hmm. is in need of some help. So how do you communicate yeah. that? You know, you do need to communicate that, um, but I think you can do it in a very respectful and loving way. Um, you know, it's important to share not only sexual likes, but also dislikes. I mean, part of our preferences is not only what we enjoy, but also the things that maybe we wish our partner could do a little bit differently. Um, you know, and so maybe saying something like, you know, I, I would love to share the experience of oral sex with you, and I think it's something that both, you know, you seem to find enjoyable and I enjoy doing to you. But I've noticed at times maybe there is a little bit of an odor, and so I'm just wondering if that's something you'd be open to talking about. You know, because it could be a lot of different things. It could be a personal hygiene issue, um, and if that's the case, I think it's something to, to, you know, that the person would need to take care of. Um, You know, sometimes odors can be stronger during certain points of the month. It may be a hormonal, um, cyclical thing. And so, you know, and some people just have, you know, a little bit of a stronger odor than others. Um, And if it's so bad that you, you know, despite maybe trying different remedies, can't seem to move past, then maybe oral sex, you know, isn't going to be something that you share together. So telling him, like, to play dead wouldn't help, right? No, no I, okay. I wouldn't go there. That that wouldn't be my advice. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm just kidding. But I, I think that's very true. And, and while I'm saying that, ladies, it is nothing wrong with telling a man because I know I have had couples in here and this one sister to have me just, I was, I, it was so hard, Emily, for me to keep a straight face. But the woman said the man was on his knees saying his prayers. <laughs> And she told him, Harold, uh, and I'm making up that name. That's not his name in case anybody's listening. That's not his name. But basically she said, Harold, please get up and go wash your ASS. So uh, it is very appropriate that men and women both, before you start opening your legs or wanting someone to get between them, have mercy on the person you love. Go take a bath, take a wash off, go dush, have some hygiene because it that is, you know, torturing people is already cruel, but torturing them that way, that's just sick. Uh, the next one is what you do when, uh, if God forbid, you actually get in a situation where you have an unforeseen consequence. And I'd like for you to speak to both of these, Emily. First, I want you to speak to unplanned pregnancy, and then I want you to talk about the gifts that keep on giving, like HIV and herpes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when there's something like an unplanned pregnancy, I think it's really important, you know, for both people to talk about it and, if possible, um, come to a joint agreement about what path you're going to choose together. Um, You know, I think ultimately it is a woman's choice. It's her body. 
Um, but I think it's something that, you know, in most cases, it's, it's better and more ideal and more respectful to communicate with your partner about the best, you know, course of action for that. You know, I think you shouldn't be having sex unless you're able to have responsible sex. Um, and so that, be, that means, you know, you know, being on oral contraceptive, knowing how to put a condom on appropriately, using other kinds of barrier methods if for some reason that doesn't work for you. You know, to have sex, you should have, you know, responsibility. I think to go hand in hand. Um, that being said, sometimes these things happen, um, you know, but you always want to talk to your partner and make a decision together about what to do about that. Um, to your, Let me ask this, Emily. Not cutting you off, but I, I've got to ask this. I would suggest uh, just for a lot of people, and I know that I have people listening to this show that are like in their early 20s that are still hormonally enraged, but uh, before you have sex with someone, doesn't it make sense to really discuss and ask about contraception? And in case something does happen, we agree that you're going to take the uh, – you know the uh, the the morning after pill or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, a good strategy, Emily? And if so, how do you how do you package that conversation? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think you are spot on, and that's an excellent point. You want to have the conversation with your partner before you get into bed with them um, about what you would do if that were to accidentally happen. Um, you know, talking about these things can sometimes be one of the most unse- unsexy conversations, but it's one of, you know, it's something that I think is absolutely necessary. So, yes, you're right. You want to talk about in advance what you would do if this were to happen and what kind of contraception that you, you know, choose to, to use as a couple, whether that's birth control pills or um, condoms or barrier methods, and, and there's all kinds of options available now. The other talk that you want to have question. before... No, one other question, Emily. What about a sexual contract? I I know this sounds really crazy, but uh, now that my career has gotten to, I don't want to use the word celebrity status, but I'm nationally known, and I have a lot of clients that are pro athletes, uh, high-profile attorneys, Mm -hmm. uh, surgeons, Mm -hmm. what have you. And they, mm-hmm. our attorneys, even my attorney has uh, advised me about mm-hmm. if I decide to have an intimate relationship with a woman that mm-hmm. I might want to consider getting a contract. And I thought that, mm-hmm. and again, my attorney is a woman, so don't laugh, you guys. I thought not only was that interesting, but that was like, wow, there's a such thing as a screwing contract. So what do you think about the legal legalese of this, Emma? You know, it's, it's a sad but unfortunate truth that, you know, we live in a society where people can be very vindictive and, you know, the person who you're with and you think you've gotten to know um, can turn out to be someone very different. And so, you know, if, if you're the kind of person who you think would benefit from a contract or that that's something that you would need to put into place, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think maybe on an emotional level it's not ideal but that is kind of the harsh reality of the world that we live in, and so for some people, it's a it's a necess- it's a necessity. Okay, and the last question, because we're about to wrap this show up, uh, Emily, HIV and herpes. People, for some reason, are acting as if these things do not exist anymore, but we know doggone well they do. Could you give us uh, before we, uh, you we get off the show? 
what are the do's and don'ts if you are engaging with a partner that has mm-hmm. herpes or that is HIV positive? What are the do's and don'ts? Mm-hmm. Well, do use protection, um, you know, especially with someone who is HIV positive because, you know, you just don't know when that could be transmitted. Um, With someone who you are in a monogamous sexual relationship with who has herpes, you know, it's about knowing when they are maybe most likely to transmit the disease um, because herpes outbreaks can occur and they're more likely to be transmitted at certain stages of the outbreak. So um, educating yourself about that and educating your partner are really essential. Um, You know, but it goes beyond that. You know, unfortunately, condoms just don't protect against everything. You know, HPV is a virus that's big time on the rise. Um, It seems like it's practically in the water now, and it's something that condoms do not protect against. Um, you know, and it's something that can be transmitted orally as well, and even dentists are seeing a higher incidence of oral cancers um, due to the HPV virus. So I just think it's so important to educate yourself and remember that a lot of these viruses and STDs are not visible to the naked eye. And so you have to have a conversation with your partner and ask them when the last time was that they got tested and, you know, hopefully there's there's a level of comfort and honesty that you have with them before you choose to engage sexually. Can you smell these things? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but I, I am being really serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I made a joke about, you know, putting on the gas mask and stuff earlier, but the truth is, mm-hmm. are some of these diseases detectable because they come with an odor? Um, some of the bacterial infections may have an odor, you know, things like uh gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, I can't say that's true for all of them, Um, you know, but usually along with any potential odor, there's also discharge or, you know, painful urination. There are other telltale signs, you know, but unfortunately with a lot of these things, no, um, they are invisible, odorless, tasteless, and you're not going to be able to, to, to know that they're there. You know, someone may have genital herpes but not be having an outbreak, and so you may incorrectly assume that they're clean when they're not. Okay, last thing, Emily. I want to thank you. This hour has gone by way, way too quick. We've got to have you back. I want to let people know that I did see your messages. If your message did not get read or your call did not get taken, we apologize. But this is information that I, as well as my staff, feels is very necessary. We live in times where, just to borrow my old country phrase, you cannot unstrike a match. And what is going on is we're using sex to try to have an external solution to an internal problem. And what I mean by that is we may feel empty, lonely, like we need to be loved and we need attention. Well, hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, love yourself and give yourself some attention and those voids will be filled. Emily, uh, before you hang up, let everyone know how to get in contact with you, what your website is, your Facebook stuff, and a phone number where they can reach you. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. Um, I can be reached. My website is www.houstonsextherapy.com. Um, I, my Twitter is at Emily Dayala. My Facebook is Houston Sex Therapy. And my phone number is 832-489-4503. Repeat the website and the phone number one more time, please. No problem. The website is HoustonSexTherapy.com, 
And all of my contact information is there on the website, um, including links to my Twitter and Facebook. And my phone number is 832-489-4503. All right, Emily. Thanks. It's been a blast having you on the show. America in parting, I want you to know a couple of things from this show. Uh, We had to do this show. Our situation, not only just as a human race, but as spiritual beings, has gotten to a point where we have lost our doggone minds. We're doing a whole lot of lesser things, trying to have greater outcomes, and that will never happen. You cannot plant a prune seed and end up growing a banana. It's just not going to happen. So as you look for intimacy, listen to the word, into me, see, sex, and intimacy are not the same thing, and my hope is that you get plenty of both. And as usual, if you cannot love, uh, find someone to love you, do it yourself because nobody can do it better. We will talk to you on Wednesday. We have a great show for you coming up on the 31st of July. You've been listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. I love you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> 